everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Breakpoint Podcast, starring myself, Frankie, and my favorite co-host, Marcus. Frank, what's cooking? Uh, nothing much, man. We wrapped up the first major of the year. The Australian Open is over, and let's go. The Breakpoint Podcast curse does not stop Novak Djokovic. Uh, he ends up winning the Australian Open for a 10th time, bringing him to 22 majors, most all-time tied with Rafael Nadal. And let's just take a brief moment here before we get into it to mention our Racket Bracket. Thank you for everyone who signed up and joined and participated with us. That's awesome. We're going to keep on doing this uh, going forward. And, and we had a lot of fun, to be honest. Um, in the battle of the co-hosts, it was not close. I beat Marcus by about 50 points, but that's okay. Marcus can still hold his head up high because he thought that Rafa would have a good tournament. So good for him. Um, <laughs> um, no. So congratulations to uh, these numbers for the top three seem to be off, but I'm going to just read them anyway, just because it, 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 it that's what the bracket bracket's saying. Um, David Reinhardt's Tuna Nergizoglu. I don't, I'm apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. What, you great can't pronounce name, Turkish names, Frankie? No. Uh, Tuna's a great name, though. Tuna's awesome. Yeah, Tuna's sick. Um, Tuna's sick. And then, of course, uh, a podcast favorite, Danila, um, finishes in third. And then your boy finished in fourth. So thank you, everyone, for participating. Mr. Irrelevant of the bracket bracket goes to... Oh, man, I am sorry to say. My former roommate, college roommate, Brian Cam, with 130 points. Sad. Very sad. Sorry, Brian. Last. Sorry, Brian. Um, anyway, Marcus, the final was set up between Stefano Tsitsipas and Novak Djokovic. Novak prevails in three. Didn't really seem too bothered in that final. Am I wrong in saying that? No, it was... I hate to say that it was expected. I mean, I was kind of hoping Steph would at least get a set, right? That that seemed to kind of be the what we I think everyone in the tennis world is kind of hoping for that generation of players to break through. We know Daniel's done it once, but you know, the the Zverev of the City Pass to finally take over, but Djokovic man is just so good. This is certainly his revenge tour for the year. The, the final at the Australian Open, you just can't beat the guy. You really can't. Um, and, you know, again, we were hoping for Steph to win a set, but Djokovic, what he does so well is that he just controls the point from the very beginning. And something that might actually, that the really, really good point that my dad brought up, shout out to Todd Smith. He mentioned that Novak Djokovic, had he not, if he were not a number one player, if he were like number 15 in the world, everybody would be talking about how insanely good his serve is. But because he's number one in the world and his game outside of his serve is so like outrageous anyway, his serve is just not appreciated enough. And it is one of the most accurate, um, strategically well-placed, and also clutch serves on tour. And I think that really needs to be mentioned. And it is what separates him from guys like a Tsitsipas, who in the finals of these tournaments just can't serve as well as him. Obviously, Djokovic is the greatest returner of all time, but it's a it's something that does not get discussed much. Yeah, ironically, we have discussed it on this podcast. In fairness, uh, good job us. We say that all the time, and and it's something that I've mentioned 
when he picked up Goran Ivanisevic as a coach, that serve went to a different level and Novak was really able to like foolproof the age the aging process of his game by getting that better serve. And we've mentioned that for all of the big three, that that's a really important part of them becoming viable as they age. And I think that that's something that Rafa, to be honest, has struggled a little bit with over time now. But yeah, I I can't agree more. I think that Novak, his serve, it's got to be top five on the tour, to be honest with you. I I mean, he's and and the point that you made that is, I think, the most accurate is it's the most strategically well done serve probably on the tour. He does a really good job of setting himself up for one twos, um, being super aggressive. And, and something that I've also said about Novak that I noticed a lot this tournament was his volleying is up like approaching all time great levels. He has so tremendously improved his hands that it's it's ridiculous. And the growth, and this is again, this is something that we've spoken about, but like the growth of Novak's game over time from the first time we watched him play to now is perhaps the greatest of all of the players that I've ever seen personally. The way that he's been able to transform his game. So it, it he is just a marvel of a player. He's so, so special. We could we're gonna do a whole separate podcast on him, to be honest, because there's just too much to say in, in this that wouldn't do it justice. But Marcus, I wanted to actually get your opinion on Stefano Sitsipas. He makes another major final, loses to Novak again. What do you think are the positives that he can take from this tournament? Because he was very clearly the second best player of the tournament. I think the positives that he can take away was his relative consistency throughout the tournament. He took care of business when he needed to, and when he did have a tougher match, like against Yannick Sinner, he also took care of that, albeit we all kind of knew that was going to go five sets, so I'm not really, like, criticizing him for that. Like, that was, you know, hey, listen, you and I would both, like, yeah, go ahead. Not not me. I did not think that would go five. I thought Steph would whip him. Steph's owned him. Steph's owned him. Fair enough. I, I figured it might go five just because Jan has improved and we expect Jan to improve to actually start figuring out how to beat guys like Steph, even though it's a bad matchup. But the positives, man, listen, another Grand Slam final, you're putting yourself in that position to potentially win a Grand Slam, which is not something else that, you know, most of these other players from his generation can say besides Medvedev. Um you know, he obviously had Joker by the balls two years ago, but couldn't get it done. And this time, you know, I, we really didn't expect him to beat Djokovic on Australian open hard courts. But the fact that he has the confidence that he can get there um, is is fantastic for him. I hope that he can do it consistently because I think he's actually really good for the game and the way that he plays, his style, the whole shebang. It's just going to be we're, we're going to see what happens when there's a more competitive field in there, a Carlos at this point i don't i discount daniel i don't know what's going on with him uh maybe if sarah makes it back and casper kind of gets it together on clay it'll be very interesting but overall i thought very very good tournament from steph what do you think frank yeah no i'm i'm with you i think i think big step forward for steph i thought mentally was most what impressed me i thought mentally he looked the most together that i've seen him and he didn't really seem to have many of these like big outbursts that we're used to at least from the matches that i saw um, yeah. And I mean, he looked and acted like a top three player in the world. So that made me very, very happy to see because I felt like he mentally and, and, and everything that I we always criticize him for 
was finally approaching the levels that we know he can be. So Besides I, when he I, almost hit the ball boy in the head. Yeah, well, you know, you can't. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think, you know, Steph, Steph's got a lot to be very proud of. Um, I think the call that you made about Kachanov uh, was pretty solid, pretty much correct. I mean, Karen played really well. The thing that I think was the story of the Australian Open from like a gameplay standpoint was how fast the courts were. This was like the most serve important major that I've seen in like quite a while, like more so than Wimbledon, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I saw the guys that I saw playing really well, which was Steph. I thought actually Sinner played really well this tournament. Novak. The thing that separated them from everybody else that I saw was the fact that they were able to have big serve or strategically well-placed serve followed by forehand winner. Like just the classic one, two was just the theme of this tournament to me. And I was happy to, I was really happy to see that. Like I was happy to see a diverse like gameplay in comparison to the baseline rallies, but I'm I'm curious what what your thoughts on that were when from your perspective. You're absolutely right. It was a very serve friendly tournament, and we saw Ben Shelton make um, the quarterfinals with massive serve. JJ Wolf massive serve. Like these guys were serving lights out. It's interesting, Frank, because the Australian Open has slower hard courts than the U.S. Open does. But because I think this tournament had a lot more heat than it usually does, and and the fact that it was so sunny, that the ball was just bouncing off the court like I mean, watching Shelton sir was just like I mean, boom, 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 just coming straight down from heaven, less like crazy serves, which is not something that we had seen in a while at a major, and it makes it interesting because it does give an advantage to the servers. It's not so much baseline grinding, like you mentioned. It does support a little bit more net play. Guys are getting in there. I saw Shelton come to net quite a bit. Novak, obviously, you know, coming to net, closing off points. Same thing with Steph. So I thought it was great. You know, I thought overall the tournament was really, really solid. I have only positive things to say about it. It was a little disappointing that some of the top players did kind of bow out. Like, would have nice to see Medvedev make a run. Nadal, you know, I thought he would make a deeper run, but he obviously got injured. Curios. Yeah. Curios, the big one. Curios is something that we do need to discuss. Um, and Casper Ruud, you know, all these guys just kind of dropped the ball a little bit. It made it interesting, you know, with Tommy Paul and the whole American quarter down there. But at the end of the day, this was just Novak's show. Yeah, and listen, again, not to toot our own horn, but I think we did really well this tournament. That's the thing that we said was hap- would happen more than anything. Like, I, I, in the preview pro- I, in the preview podcast, like, jokingly said, like, Novak by a bajillion. And then you also even at the end said like, oh, yeah, Novak's going to win. And then I made fun of you for it. But like, you know, yeah, Novak was just so clearly head and shoulders above everybody else. And like, obviously, I think part of it is the emotional aspect of it. Like, I think that he and he even said like there were so many different aspects to this win that make this the most special major win of all time for him. But. And like that, I think, obviously elevated his play. <clears throat> but I think that he was definitely just, even with all of the juice going on in the background, he was just still, he's just so much better than everybody else. And and it's it's difficult for me, like, 
obviously I predicted him to win two out of four. I said he would win Australia and I said that he would win Wimbledon. And I said, I'm unsure about Roland Garros and the U.S. Open. I actually think like, you know, he's in the top two for sure. He can't play uh, as of now. Oh, yeah. That's if the problem. He can, yeah. Well, I think that'll be changed, to be honest, by the time that the, that comes around. But so. assuming assuming he can play, I think that he's probably the favorite. Uh, I genuinely think that like he might like I, I, I'm trying to think like, do you really think that there's anybody on the tour? at this point with Novak playing the way that he's playing, that's going to be able to beat him three out of five because I'm, I'm really like, I understand that I like made that whole spiel in a previous episode about him at Roland Garros and how I would have certain people above him. But like with him serving like that, if those courts are dry and it's hot, good luck. I mean, I, I don't really know many people besides a prime Rafa and, and maybe a, an improved Steph. That could that could take him on, Carlos at the French. I think it's possible. Um, I don't think he'll. I don't. I don't know. I just. It's just so tough to bet against this guy because he's just so good. Are you concerned about the injuries with Carlos? Yeah. Well, a little bit because he is so young. I think that he can kind of bounce back from them pretty quick. If it becomes kind of a recurring issue, I mean, he does have a very, very aggressive swing style that is not going to be friendly to his, you know, abs, ribs, shoulder, you know, the whole deal. However, we also said that about a guy named Rafael Nadal, who is still playing at the age of 35. So, you know, I'm not I'm not too concerned at the moment. The, the thing the problem that I have with that logic, because it's something that gets told to me all the time is. Rafa is the exception, not the norm. And we need to really remember that. We're talking about a guy who is the, like literally one of the greatest players of all time in Rafael Nadal. And to like hold the expectation that everybody is going to age and play as well as he has throughout their career, I think is a really troublesome, like logical path to go down with Carlos. And I I just think yeah, I, I just, I don't know, like, this guy, like, Novak just seems to not age. And, like, I really think that Sitsipas like, does have, like, these little bits that on a clay court, and we saw it happen two years ago, can really give Novak fits. Like, if you were watching those, like, courtside views of the final, like, when they brought the, like, camera to the, to, like, court level, like, Sitsipas's backhand, if he's able to actually, like, step into it, and really just flick it deep with a ton of spin, even with Novak having the greatest backhand of all time, is not really able to do too much with that because it's bouncing so high on him that on a clay court, you've got to think like, okay, this like might legit, like there might be something here. But again, like it goes back to what you said at the very start of this, Steph's serve is not good enough. He's not getting enough free points off of that serve then I'm not talking about the one twos. I'm talking about just like aces or like, you know, the guy like hits it out. It's like Steph doesn't have enough of those. Like that's the thing that Daniil Medvedev does have. Daniil hits a ton of aces, ton of like free points, you know, the whole thing. To answer your original question, and then we'll talk about that, is with Carlos, the only reason why I do trust that process to happen in terms of him smoothing out his game to become less injury is because I believe in his coach. 
I believe in Juan Carlos Ferrero, and I believe that he is has already improved in terms of calming him down and smoothing out his game so that he doesn't get injured. And I think that's something that's going to continue to progress. So that's the only reason why on the Carlos end, I'm not too concerned. Um, as far as Djokovic at the French, which is going to be the next Grand Slam, and probably honestly his next, like, well, okay, he'll play the clay season, his next big tournament, because he's probably going to miss Indian Wells in Miami due to the COVID regulations. But he really, he's top two favorite top three at least i mean you just can't it doesn't you, i don't you know i know casper's good on clay and all these other like he's just too good mentally is the problem man mentally is just like you know even if steph is up against you know him again in the final or something like that it's like it can steph get over that hurdle of knowing like okay i almost had him last time can i get him this time that's a massive mental burden that anybody who faces him has to jump over in order to beat him at the, the French is going to be a very, very, very interesting tournament, depending on the health of players. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's, <clears throat> I think it's the most interesting because the serve, as you mentioned at the start of this, like the serve gets neutralized a lot on the clay, obviously. And that takes away like a big weapon that Novak has at this point. So I think that's why Novak is the most susceptible on clay of all of these surfaces. But yeah, I just, even with Casper, dude, I'm going to be honest. The way that he played at this tournament really was a big negative for me. I I really lost a lot of faith in the way that Casper plays. I You know, just thinking about it, like, the way that some of these top people, top guys went down was really disappointing. Uh, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to front. I think that's a trend, though. Like that's that's kind of this newer generation. I think we're also we have such high expectations of top players because we have been so spoiled by Rafa Novak Fed that they always make quarter semis finals. I'm not saying that I'm not excusing Casper. I think he should have beaten Jensen Brooksby. I mean, sheesh, but I could I like I it wouldn't surprise me if he made like another French Open final and just had like a great tournament. You know what I mean? Like we didn't expect him to do anything at the open. I mean, for Christ's sake, they put him out on court 12. Shout out to the US Open. I will never stop mentioning that. But you know, you do, like do you know what I mean? I do. No, I'm not I'm I think you're dead on. I mean, I I think that's a very accurate assessment. I'm not going to not going to disagree with it. I think it's very it is definitely partially true. But I don't know. For me, I, I just these are the. It's a number. You're the number two seed at the tournament, dude. You can't lose. Like you just can't lose that early. Uh, you know, barring an injury, of course, but like or a really bad matchup, which like Jensen Brooksby is just not a bad matchup for him. Like Casper has like all the tools to beat a guy like that, and it's just you know it's just disappointing. I don't know. But Frank, I got another question for you. All right, since, hit me. Since Nole um, essentially can't come to the U.S. to play, so that means he'll miss Miami and Indian Wells, presumably. What does he do until the clay season in terms of scheduling tournaments? What's he going to do? My guess is that he'll probably do like some of the like Dubai stuff. Like, <clears throat> you know, they have like those leagues that go on, like the the... They're not professionals. What are they? they the the pro am stuff like that. Like, I think there's one pro am, and then there's the Dubai. There's a 500 event as well. Yeah, he'll do that. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of stuck, but I'm sure that he can. To be honest, 
how much have I seen of Novak in the past uh, few months since the U.S. Open? Not not a ton. Not much, but you know what he might do? Figured it out, so. You know what he might do, kind of like what he did at the end of last year? Remember he played a bunch of low-profile 250s? Yeah, I would do that. Absolutely. Go to South America. There's some tournaments in South America going on. Why not? I think he's going to have to do that because if he wants to maintain... Another important thing for Joker that we can't... I mean, I I think at this point he just doesn't care. He's just like, I'm going to rip through everybody, but he would prefer a higher seating. He would certainly prefer a higher seating, and he just gained a crap ton of points because um, he's world number one again, right? Yeah, he's world number one. I mean, he's, he's set now. He's world number one without the Wimbledon points. So, like... He's yeah. he's doing just fine. I mean, he really and he doesn't have a ton to defend at Roland Garros. He has none to defend at the, all the U.S. tournaments. Like Novak is just fine. Like he's gonna stay at number one to number two in the world pretty easily. So, but yeah, I agree with you. Obviously, I I think that the 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 seating definitely matters for him and all of these guys. It definitely matters. But, uh. I, I think that's uh, I think. Oh, let's briefly talk about the women because we didn't really touch upon the women at all um, in any of our shows. Uh, Arya Sabalenka did win um, her first major. Congratulations to her. She beat Elena Rabakina in the final um, who advanced to her second Grand Slam final, by the way. Elena Rabakina, not a fluke uh, at Wimbledon, the Wimbledon champion from 2022. She is a legit player. I actually thought that was one of the most entertaining women's finals that I have seen in a very long time. The way that those two women hit, it was phenomenal. Rabakina, huge serve. Sabalenka, huge serve. Um, big ground stroke games. Really pretty tennis to watch. Very entertaining. Uh, I think that the key for Sabalenka, who is somebody that I have personally always overlooked and forgotten about criminally, I, you know, she has just got her consistency a little bit. If Sabalenka can figure out that serve, which she did this tournament, God God help you, because she can dominate the baseline probably better than anybody. So, yeah, Sabalenka, good for you. I'm very, very pleased to see that. That was awesome. Yeah, the serving thing is, for me, I think her serve's actually really good. I just think she's got the mental yips on it sometimes. To clarify, the second serve. The first serve, I think, is awesome. The second serve, yips. Zverev, like, yips. Yes, that is very accurate. And it it has held her back from winning a slam earlier, to be honest, because she's way too talented not to have won a slam and be number one in the world by now. I mean, gee, she's got the like, she's the perfect height, has like perfect strokes. Just I saw her live. Oh, God, it was against Danielle Collins on Armstrong 2021. I mean, my God, she ripped the ball. Jesus Christ is just demolishes it. And if she can, you know, she did hit a lot of double faults that match. Now that I'm thinking about it, but if she can figure that out on a consistent basis and get that serve and her mind under control, watch out. She could win, you know, multiple slams a year type girl. Yeah, I've seen Sabalenka play live actually twice at the U.S. Open. Um, I think both of her semifinals, I've seen her her play. So, you know, she she look from the ground, like the ground strokes. I would struggle to find a player on the women's side who can hit a cleaner more aggressive baselining ball than she can maybe Iga on clay but you know Sabalenka from the ground is nasty so if if Sabalenka can figure out that second serve if that's something that she has now fully got down rest of the tour's got to watch out because she has all the tools in the toolkit to really really be a strong player and what's really impressive is from the baseline 
it's forehand and backhand. She was dominating with that backhand in that final. She was hitting nice, nice balls. Enough said, dude. I mean, she's she's really, really good. Shout out to Daniela for calling that one. You had two Belarusians in the semifinals. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, Daniela had a very good uh, Australian open bracket. You can't deny it. But uh, that's going to do it for us, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening, as always. Please be sure to check us out on all of our social channels at Breakpoint Podcast 7. And you can check out our website that Marcus has worked very hard on, podpage.com slash break-point-podcast. And uh, please be sure also um, on Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast, to hit the subscribe bell. Uh, so that way you get notified whenever we post an episode and you don't have to just rely on the gram. And we also appreciate all of your participation and feedback on the gram. That's been great. Shout out to Maria Sakari, who has liked multiple of our stories, by the way. Maria Sakari is now the women's podcast favorite of Breakpoint Podcast. Didn't uh, we also have a little Elena Rabakina action there? Elena Rabakina did, in fact, see our story. No like, but she saw it. We'll take okay. it. We'll take we'll it. We'll take it. Uh, so, (laughs) but, uh, that is going to do it for us. Thanks for listening, everyone. And, uh, as always, uh, we'll see you on the other side. See you.